0: Well, having laid out his defense of himself and of his apostleship and his authority in the first two chapters of this letter, uh, Paul, tonight we're going to see that he makes a shift and he shifts his attention to the Galatians themselves and what they had uh, been doing as far as falling prey to what the Judaizers were teaching in regards to the Christian life. The Judaizers were teaching, and we've said this all month, but the Judaizers were teaching that Christ was a good and necessary starting point uh, as far as the Christian life was concerned. But finishing or completing that journey was up to man. Uh, Christ would would start things, but men would finish them. Men had the responsibility through their works, through particularly the uh, fulfillment of the law. Uh, was necessary to, um, to be saved. What began, as we, we heard a couple weeks ago, we, what began as circumcision turned into dietary laws, and eventually it was just, well, you just need to keep the law as a whole. And so rather than justification by faith alone, uh, or by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone... The Judaizers were teaching and the Galatians were believing that salvation was through faith in Christ and keeping of the law and man's works. And as we've seen, as we saw in chapter one, and as we'll see in just a few minutes, Paul is absolutely livid. He's beside himself because of this false gospel. And really, we've already said because it's not a gospel at all. As far as he was concerned, they were, they were buying into this faith and works gospel. Uh, he says it's not a gospel at all. And he actually says they've lost their minds. You've lost your minds. His language, not mine. And brothers and sisters, that message for the Galatians was very important, but it's also important for us tonight. It's a message that we all need to hear as well. We need to be reminded that Christ did more than just initiate our justification. He secured it. We need to hear and we need to be reminded that that Christ did more than just make salvation possible. He assured us of our salvation. He He assured us of every single bit of it. And because of that security and that assurance, we need to rest. We need to, as Paul wrote, we need to remember it's because of God that we are in Christ. And it's in Christ, it's Christ who became for us and to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And we, like Paul, need to be absolutely sure of this. We need to be sure of this. We need to be sure that He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. It needs to be something that we're reminded of over and over and over again. And so in light of that, let's let's pray for exactly that before we begin our study. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, we do ask that you would remind us clearly, matter-of-factly, of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you remind us of the security that is ours? Would you remind us of the assurance that is ours? In these moments, even challenge us Convict us of our propensity to stray and to turn our gaze back on ourselves as if we have something to offer. Would you lift our heads and turn our eyes to Christ? May we see Him in all His glory. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. You'll find an outline in the back of your bulletin, and you'll see I've divided the passage tonight, these 14 verses, into three sections. We're going to look first at the experience of the Galatians in verses 1 to 5. Uh, We're going to look then at the example of Abraham in verses 6 to 9. And then finally, we're going to look at uh, the exposition of the law that um, Paul provides in verses 10 to 14. Uh, Let's look first at the experience of the Galatians and we pick up in verse one and right away again, we see that the first thing uh, that we notice is that Paul picks up the tone that he had in chapter one, that he kind of set aside a little bit in the autobiographical section. Well, now it's back. Uh, We hear the tone of his voice. Uh, he does call them brothers, if you remember back in verse eleven of chapter one and it kind of lightens it a little bit. but here in in verse one he simply calls them foolish Galatians. You can hear the tone it 's changed. The, the word means he 's calling them unreasonable he 's calling them senseless he 's calling them irrational he 's moved beyond ignorance. Which ignorance is just simply not knowing any better. But he moves beyond the ignorance because they do know better. They've been taught better. He has taught them better than that. And I, I'm lost for words because I don't think I can adequately communicate how intense he is at this point. We, we tend to lighten it up. And there are things that I could say about it and I'm, I'm, I'm deciding in my head should I say them or not. Just know that he is beside himself. And this has nothing to do with him. It has nothing to do with, oh, poor me and they've rejected my message. This is all about them that we'll get to toward the end of the passage. This is all about them. His, his anger, his being beside, beside himself is out of concern and pity for the Galatians. So what he does in, in the midst of this is to address this foolishness, he decides to ask some rhetorical questions, as is his custom. He asks five of them, and the first one, he says, who has bewitched you? And we think that's, that's pretty, pretty weird to say, but the fact that they're acting, this is where he is, the fact that they're acting so unreasonably... The fact that they've just seemed to set aside what they know to be true to follow what they know to be false, this is so astounding to him. He says that the only way that this could possibly be true is that that somehow someone has cast a spell on you. Now he he doesn't believe that literally, but he's he's communicating the fact that this must be. It must be that someone has caught some sorcerer has caught your gaze. They've given you the evil eye and you are now under a spell. There's there's no other way to explain what's going on. And unfortunately, this um, this was not done against, or this wasn't done against their will. This was something that they have chosen to do. And he says, what he says basically is, what you've done is you've taken your eyes off of Christ. And because you've taken your eyes off of Christ... You have now caught the eye of someone else. And his frustration is, is that he knows that he has, and, and again in his language, in his sharing of the gospel, he did it in such a way that he basically painted this bright um, digital HD billboard of the gospel. They, they couldn't miss it. It had absolutely had, had enamored them. And had they kept their eyes on him, had they kept their eyes on what had originally captured their attention, that sorcerer, so-called sorcerer, wouldn't have been able to catch their eye and cast the spell. Now I want to pause. I'm going to go through the other questions pretty rapidly in just a minute. But I want to pause there because I think it's real important for us to understand. And I want to suggest to you that... This is exactly where trouble lies even today. This kind of thing goes on today. Notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as an example to follow. Or as a life coach who will help you manage your mistakes and your setbacks. Or as one who has laid out steps for you to experience your best life now or help you reach your potential or to fulfill your purpose. Paul says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was portrayed, publicly portrayed as crucified. He was portrayed as crucified and the way he the way he says this is he's not he's he's moving beyond just talking about a historical fact he's talking about the, the fact that and is stressing that the present reality that the cross has a present reality and has ongoing effects it matters it mattered then it matters today even though it is something that has taken place in history, and brothers and sisters, we need, we need, we need, and we need to expect a steady diet of preaching that puts Christ and His work on the cross on display at all times. It is something we need. It is something we should desire, because apart from it, our gaze quickly moves. And, and well, let's be honest. Even when, even when. We have a steady diet of that kind of preaching. We still are prone to wander. We still, uh, our eyes still move away to other things, including to ourselves. So all the more reason for us to have this steady diet, all the more reason to desire to come week after week to see Christ, to hear Christ publicly portrayed in word and sacrament, that our eyes might be kept upon Him it's in Paul's language it's a matter of life and death and as one pastor reminded me of this over the last couple of weeks that preaching again should be vivid and clear and even moving not not overly dramatic but in the words of Paul to his letter to the Thessalonians it should be preaching that, is not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Because it matters. Our hearts should move because He died, but not only because He died, He died for us. And beloved, we don't, we don't need recurring advice about how we should do more things or how we should do things better. What we need is the consistent announcement of what Christ has done for us. Over and over and over again. Because we can't do enough. We can't do enough well to save ourselves. And that brings us to the second question. Notice what Paul says. It it actually, again, how he's writing. This is the most important question of Of the five. And he says. Did you receive the spirit. By works or faith. And because the spirit regenerates. Because we believe of course. That the spirit draws and unites with Christ. And effectually applies all the benefits of Christ. uh, Indwells and seals those who believe. Paul's question is really this. How are you saved? How did you become a Christian? What was it that that brought you to this place where you now uh, you are now saved were you were you saved by obeying and maintaining the works of the law or were you saved by hearing and believing the gospel were you saved through your own efforts or were you saved through the efforts of Christ that you have received by faith his third question uh, looks like two is actually one. He says, are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? And here's where we see the intensity of that language again. His straight, that he's just punching him right. Really just punching him right in the mouth. And we could par- paraphrase this question this way. Is, Have you lost your minds? Are you are you to use the illustration with the kids? Are, are you getting off the tightrope halfway over the river? Are you actually believing that you can do anything to add to your salvation? Are you actually thinking that what began by the Spirit that somehow you're going to complete? Do you actually think you can keep the law in such a way that you can do something the Spirit can't do? You can hear, you can just hear him and, and, and know how ridiculous he thinks that even sounds. The fourth question he says, do you suffer in vain? In other words, have you gone through all that you've gone through? Have you suffered as you came to faith in Christ and and all the ridicule and all the things that you experienced? Is, Is it all going to be worth it? If you were saved in some other way? And of course, the answer is yes, if they turn back now. And then the last question he says is, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or hearing with faith? In other words, is is God working in you and through you in the lives of others because you are keeping the law or because of faith? He says, are you, are people being converted? Are Are lives changing and are the gifts of the Spirit being bestowed and exercised by faith or by works of the law? So throughout this entire section, his words are strong. We we can't miss how strong they are. We don't need to, to glance over that. But the Galatians needed them. And you and I need them. We need that same intensity We, like them, need to hear these same questions and we need to answer them truthfully, honestly, forthrightly. What gospel are we believing? In whom are we resting? To whom are we looking for our justification and our sanctification? Are we resting in Christ and His full and final work? Or are we trying to add to it in some way? And by doing so, shouting out to the world that somehow what Christ did was insufficient. And I also would be remiss if I didn't say this as well. Sometimes... In our zeal for what is right, we can lose sight of the overall goal. And and what I mean by that is that when we're asking these questions of ourselves, it's one thing. But when we're asking them of others, how do we ask them? What, What is our tone? Because as I mentioned earlier, Luther points out that Paul was not seeking to destroy them. I mean, he's intense. He's matter of fact. But he's not trying to destroy them. It's actually out of pity. Uh, um, Luther says that he's trying to amend them. And his his rebuke was, and I want to quote Luther. He says, his rebuke was out of pity and compassion by way of complaint. For it grieved him that they should be so miserably reduced as if he would say, I am sorry and ashamed to hear this of you. Is, this is a... This isn't anger, but this anger is coming from an overwhelming sadness and love for them. And so I ask us in our defense of the gospel and in our desire to see others come to faith and to get back in some cases when we're talking to our friends and trying to get them back on a right path of faith alone and Christ alone Brothers and sisters, may we amend, may may our desire be to amend them and not destroy them. Now, you know as well as I do, and Paul, of course, knows basing an argument solely on experience is never a good idea, right? And so what Paul does is he moves from the experiential to the biblical, to the scriptural, and really in that scriptural argument, he, he looks at both historical and theological truths and he begins with an example or the example of Abraham look at verse six he says does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. Now Paul knew what he was doing here because he's. He's being really purposeful because he's not only providing scriptural evidence for his argument. He's also using the one uh, that the Judaizers would have used themselves to try to prove their point. So basically what he's doing is not only providing a, a foundation for his argument. He's also cutting the knees out from the Judaizers at the same time. Paul says that the answer... To not only the question uh, that last question number five, but all three of those in regards to works and faith, all of those can be answered in the same way. And they're rhetorical, and we know what the answer was, right? It was by faith. And so we could go back, and we could say, all right, were you saved by the Spirit or by works of the law? The answer is you were saved by um, you were saved through by the Spirit through faith. Are you being perfected by your works or by the Spirit through faith? The answer is. By the Spirit through faith. Are you seeing uh, the results of your work? Is that a result of works or of the Spirit through faith? The answer is the Spirit uh, by the Spirit through faith. And then he says, just like Abraham. He's saying it's always been that way. God's plan A wasn't to justify everyone by works of the law and then expect them to continue to grow by keeping the, by keeping to, uh, and fulfilling the, the works of the law. Plan B wasn't to justify them by faith and then at some point pick up with works. The plan has always been to justify people, all people, Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, by faith. And for them to continue to grow spiritually by faith. It it doesn't change. It has not changed. And that's why Paul says Abraham's children, or the people of God, are not those who have been circumcised, but are those who who are acting in faith. It's not those who are a part of Abraham ethnically. It's those who place their faith in the person and work of Christ. Abraham's children are spiritual descendants, not physical descendants. And so just as Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness, Paul says the Galatians' faith is credited to them as righteousness. Just as Abraham, by faith, was declared uh, legally not guilty and free from guilt and condemnation of his sin and completely righteous and holy before God, the Galatians, by faith, have that and share that same standing. They are legally not guilty. They're free from their guilt and condemnation. They stand before God, holy and righteous, because of and through their faith. Well, I'll get to that in just a minute. Just as Abraham's faith was a conduit, okay? It was a conduit through which he was justified and received all of the benefits of Christ's work. So the Galatians, it, it was the same. Their faith was a conduit through which they received those blessings. Notice, and that's very important. Their faith, Abraham's faith, their faith was not a meritorious work. It was that through which they received what Christ had done on their behalf. Through faith, Abraham received salvation. Through faith, the Galatians received salvation. And it was through faith that they would continue in their growth. And brothers and sisters, I am so incredibly thankful to say that the same is true for you and me today. It's always been that way. The plan is still in effect. And so that same. The same that was true for Abraham. That was true for the Galatians. Is true for you and me today. We by faith. Have been declared not guilty. Our guilt and condemnation. Has been washed away by the blood of Christ. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And in Christ By faith, through faith, we stand before the Father, holy and righteous. We, by faith, the faith that is a conduit, through that faith we have been justified, just as Abraham was justified, just as the Galatians were justified, and we have received all the benefits of Christ's work on our behalf. Through faith, we too have been saved, and it's through that same faith that we will continue to grow. Because it's through faith that we are justified and sanctified. But the question is, the question we're bound to ask is, how is that even possible? And Paul answers that, and he says in verse 10 through the end of the chapter, he says, because Jesus redeemed us from the law's curse by becoming a curse for us. Look at verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law... Are under a curse. For it is written "Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now, in these five verses, Paul lays out very clearly and succinctly. He's he's really doing an exposition of the law. Uh, he he brings in Deuteronomy twenty-one twenty-three and Deuteronomy twenty-seven twenty-six and Leviticus eighteen five, and then he adds Habakkuk two in there. Um, And he says, listen, if you want to turn your back on Christ, now this is my paraphrase, but if you want to turn your back on Christ and lead a law abiding life, go for it. But before you do, you need to know something. He says, despite what the Judaizers are telling you, if you're going to lead this law abiding life, there's a price to be paid. It's something that you've got to keep In your mind, he says, because it's not it's not everything that it's cracked up to be, because there's a curse attached with it. Living a law abiding life includes life under a curse. In other words, if you're going to live this life, understand that there are consequences. And there are consequences to come if you don't do exactly what God requires, which is complete, perfect, and consistent keeping of the law. I want you to think about this for a minute. That means that there's no partial keeping of the law. That that means that he's telling them you don't get to keep or pick and choose what you keep and what you don't keep. He also says there's there's you can't keep it in an inadequate way. In other words, you don't get to keep it simply the best that you can. And he also says that there is no occasional keeping of the law. And what he means by that is you don't get to keep the law every other day or keep a record and choose the best four out of seven days every week. Now, the reality is that if you're going to live by the law, you must live by all of it, all of the time, perfectly. And just so we know that this isn't something that, you know, Paul is out there. Now, remember, he's already... Paul has already been uh, backed up by the apostles in Jerusalem, right? But James comes along and writes, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So this is not just Pauline, this is scriptural. And so the problem then is obvious, right? The problem is obvious. And the problem is no one is able to do that. We can't do that. We can't keep it as God requires. So Paul says the reality is no one is justified by keeping the law because no one can keep the law as God requires. But he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave it there. He says there's an alternative. And the alternative is to continue to live by faith. Continue to live as you've been taught to live. He says you can live by works of the law and you can suffer the consequences that's due to your inability to do as as God requires. Or you can live by faith. You can live by faith. You can live trusting in Christ. And we say, well, why faith in Christ? Well, Paul answers that. He says because it was Jesus Christ who was the fulfillment of, Of the promises that God made to Abraham that we read earlier, that we read from the Old Testament, West read earlier. Christ was the fulfillment of those promises that that God made to Abraham. And that are made available to everyone who lives by faith, just like Abraham. It was Christ who redeemed and purchased and set you free By not only taking the curse of the law on himself, but by becoming a curse himself. Paul was able to say that. Remember, on the road to Damascus, we've already talked about the divine message that was imparted to Paul by Christ, about Christ. And so, because of what has been imparted to him, he's able to look back and to read in the New Testament. And he says that through that divine revelation that... That he's able to say that it was through the cross. It was the cross that was Christ's tree. Christ was hanged on a tree. He was a curse. He became a curse and he took on the penalty and the consequences of every lawbreaker who would turn to faith to turn to him in faith. And if lawbreakers turn to him in faith, they become benefactors of salvation and they receive the spirit through faith. And so what we have is this this wonderful truth that because the father treated Christ as a lawbreaker. He treats all those who turn to Christ in faith as perfect, holy and righteous. Now I need to stop there for to allow a couple minutes for uh, um, a couple points of application. First, I, I mentioned earlier that the Galatians, of course, were falling prey to this lie that Christ was simply a starting point. Um, come to faith in Christ, and then you do your part. And we think, well, you know, we, we don't really face that today. And, but the reality is, it's it's out there. And it's out there in more places than you might think. Now, of course, obviously we know that one area that, that we hear that and see that is in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, the Roman Catholic Church unreservedly teaches, and, and I'm going to quote this, it teaches that man has the ability and obligation to cooperate with God's grace in securing his own salvation. He must do good and avoid evil in order to be saved. Direct quote. So it doesn't get any clearer than that. They don't. the The, the church, the Roman Catholic Church, doesn't shy away from that. Uh, they actually staunchly defend it. Okay, but it's not just a Roman Catholic issue. It's also a Protestant issue. It's a Protestant issue for those who have embraced what's called Pietism. And in Pietism, it's it really focuses on man's duty as. What is primarily important? Personal piety, while good, becomes a preoccupation. And so what happens is that those who, who embrace this focus on what Christians should be doing and, and how we should be doing it because progress is what matters most. And it's all about duty rather than identity. And it's all about obligation rather than assurance. And then what happens is when we become preoccupied with that personal piety. Then we begin what's lost. What's lost is the person work of Christ. What's lost is rest in Christ. Christ. Because when we become so preoccupied with our progress, we begin to seek or search for or pursue assurance. But the faith alone gospel, on the other hand, stresses Christ's work and the spirit and what the Spirit does through the ordinary means of grace. And leads us to receiving and resting in the assurance that's been provided for us. We're assured of salvation because of Christ. And so we need to remain aware of both of those things. Because we, we all have friends. Again, and, and, and we do the same. We do the same. And that's that's really my second point. This isn't a problem that's just out there. It's a problem we face because we experience it every day. Day after day, we, we live in a very performance-oriented culture and society. And you, and you guys all know that. That's nothing new. I'm, I'm not sharing something with you that you don't already know. And that performance orientation creates a works-oriented mindset. In a lot of areas, it begins to seep in to who we are as believers in Christ. It begins to affect what we believe about salvation, particularly about our justification. So, I want to I want to end here by just encouraging all of us. For those who have always been a part of some sort of works based or uh, faith and works based tradition. I hope and I pray that you have heard that there is an alternative and there is hope for your weary soul. And I would, I would urge you to repent of your sin and to come to Jesus where you will find rest. For those who have consciously and maybe even purposely begun to stray from the gospel to walk down a faith and works path, this is becoming more and more prevalent. Looking for something more. If that is you, I want you to hear and remember that in the end, where that path is leading is is leading to, uh, because of your inability to perfectly and completely and consistently obey it, it's just going to beat you up. It's going to beat you up. And leave you on the side of the road for dead. And it's going to lead to hopelessness, despair, bitterness, and impotence in, t- in terms of godly living. And it's going to create an anxiety and insecurity and fear and doubt in regards to your standing before God. That's the natural result. And I would I would beg you to repent. And, and get back on a path of trusting in Christ alone for your salvation and your sanctification and your glorification. It's all in Christ. And for those who, who don't, for the rest of us, it, you know, wherever you might find yourself... Uh, For for those that maybe that I haven't touched on who who don't want to struggle, but find yourself constantly battling, right? It's a daily thing. And before you know it, you're starting to trust in yourself or believe in yourself or your eyes are off of Christ. And you think, well, if I just do this better or do this more, or if I just do this thing. Again. Brothers and sisters, we cannot finish what Christ has begun. Because He's already secured it and it's already assured. Christ didn't initiate our justification. He secured it. Christ did more than make our salvation possible. He assured it. And that security and that assurance is ours in Christ. We simply trust Him. We simply trust Him. It's available through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is Good news. Let's pray.